Welcome to the podcast for Refuge City Church. We hope that the message today blesses you and inspires you to be a refuge that embraces others. I'd like if you would to turn to Matthew chapter 7 again this week. Last week we were able to launch into some thoughts and perspectives on, on something that is uncomfortable within society. It's even been uncomfortable within the church to be very honest with you. And... The title of my thoughts, the title of um, this part two today is Everyone Will Choose. Everyone Will Choose. In the context of that, we're going to read this portion of Scripture, Jesus um, teaching here in the climax of a lot of prophetic words of the end times, what would come. We know that that Jesus gave lots of explanation and lots of... uh, understanding in and around what would happen in the days that we live in currently. We went over that last week, and if you weren't a part of that, please please go back and watch that so you can get contact, context. But one of, the, one of the disturbing things that I have seen as a trend is the context of two things. Number one, the cheapening of grace within the church that, that um, has been presented in the pulpit that causes grace to be misconstrued and misunderstood as the get-out-of-sin-free card, um, God's monopoly game of life, which how many know we know that's not the truth? Can I hear an amen? But no matter what we do, no matter how we behave, no matter what we choose to do, no matter what we partner with in sin, we can just call on grace because God understands our temptations, He understands our nature, He understands our chemistry, He understands our life, and grace has been presented in a way that I believe is um, absolutely 100% um, non-conducive to what Jesus meant with it. Grace is something that's bestowed on us that's unmerited favor. Everybody say unmerited favor. It's something given to us because of the redemption and sanctification power and the shedding of blood that Jesus did on the cross. And it cost heaven greatly. It cost heaven and it cost our Heavenly Father greatly. And what's ended up happening over the course of the last four, five, six, seven decades, last 60 or 70 years, is in order to justify people's misbehavior and choosing to walk in sin, pastors started emulating the concept of grace in order to cover people in the wrong application instead of them using grace to come out from a Come out. Everybody say, come out. Come out from the things that would bring distractions and the things that the enemy wanted to do, steal, kill, and destroy. Grace was the over-covering or the umbrellaing of you can go ahead and do what you want and as long as you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're trying your best to do whatever you can to serve Him, everything will be okay from there. Survey said? Good. Glad this church is on board. And those of you that didn't eh right there at the end, maybe we'll get you. Let's see. That's the first thing. The second thing is this concept that I don't want to choose. I don't want to have to choose heaven or hell. I don't want to have to choose God or the things of this world and flesh. I want to, I want to know a form of godliness. I want to be participant in a form of godliness. I want to I want to come two times a year. I want to come on Christmas and I want to come on Easter and maybe if I'm around my mother I'll come on Mother's Day, but other than that, I really don't want to be bogged down with religious stuff. Here's the context. 
People have bought into a religious ideology instead of a relation standby for the things of God and a stand on the things of God. God never wanted to be your religious your, relig- your religious go-between or get out. God wanted to have a relationship with you and you have a relationship with Him that would change you every moment of every day of your life. Can I hear an amen? amen. But we've lived in a society, I, I don't want to choose. I want to live the way I want to live and at the end of my life, I want God to recognize me or I'll ask God to forgive me and because He's a gracious God, here's the misuse of grace again, I know I haven't lived the way I'm supposed to live. I know I haven't been doing the things I'm supposed to have been doing. I know I'm supposed to be disciplined. I know that I need to use the word no a lot more in my life. But I don't want to choose. I don't want to have to choose. Don't make me choose. I want to live the way I want to live. I want to be the way I want to be. I want to go where I want to go. I want to participate in what I want to participate in. And at the end of it, all dogs go heaven great cart well it's not really even a good cartoon i said that last week and then somebody showed me some clips of it it's not that good i'll just tell you right now so i want to say this as an exclamation i have an exclamation mark my notes after this title everyone will choose choose this day whom you you will serve you got to choose and choosing means covenant choosing means commitment choosing means application choosing means lifestyle When you choose to serve the Lord, it changes the way you are and changes the way that you look so that you mirror and represent godly things and holy things and righteous things and not the things of the flesh or the things of this world. How many of you know grace looks like something? Everyone look up here here this morning. Those of you watching, grace looks like something. Grace is a verb. It has action. Pastor Jim Grace seems to be a a different application in my life. Well, it shouldn't be. The grace of God is emulated through your discipline to be a disciple of the Most High God. Everybody, I I just got serious in here. But the reason why grace has been violated, the reason why grace has not been applicated appropriately is because people of God have not lived up to the grace that Jesus paid for. And we've got to change that. I know that's heavy. That's independent and individual, but it's heavy. But it's the truth. Every single one of us emulate the grace of God and the decisions and the disciplines that we choose to walk in in our life. Grace looks like something. When people walk up to you and they ask you, why are you different? Why do you believe different? Why are your convictions different? Or I don't like your convictions. We talked about that last week. I'm going to breeze through that here in just a few moments. Why, why, is there, why is there something different about Why does the atmosphere change when you get into a room? Why, why, why does things shift because of the joy of the Lord coming out of your life? It's because grace is being represented by the high cost heaven paid for through the disciplines of your life to be a disciple of the Most High God. I don't want to do my own thing and live my own way and compromise The fact that Jesus is within me. I don't want to wear the t-shirts and the hat and the symbolism of the memorabilia of the cross and not have it be something costly that causes me to be subjective and causes me to be aware of what Jesus did. And the bottom line is this, and it's becoming more evident every day in the world. Everyone will choose. Everyone will choose. 
We will either choose the things of God or we will choose the compromises of the world. But there isn't an in-between. There isn't a lukewarm anymore. That's what I'm trying to present. The things that are happening right now are twofold. A lot of people are calling it the judgment of God. A lot of people are saying that it's, that it's the debauchery of mankind and, and God's going to, to rain down. I, I just want to say this to you. I, I, I understand judgment and all that. I believe it's the recalibration of the church for the greatest end time harvest that we've ever seen before Jesus comes back. But, but God needs a church that's clothed without spot or... Everybody say spot or wrinkle. That's where grace looks like something. Grace looks like something because of what comes out of you, what comes out of your mouth, what comes out of your life, what comes out of your actions, what comes out of your stand. As for me and my house, we will put on the whole armor of God and having done all to stand, I will stand therefore. I will not be moved. I will not be shaken. Matthew 7, 12 through 14. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Everybody say the golden rule. This is the golden rule. For this sums up the law and the prophets in verse 13 and 14. is the application of where we've been for the last couple of weeks and where I want to conclude us this morning on this statement or this declaration everyone will choose. Enter through the narrow gate. Jesus is making this statement. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. I want to share something with you. Do you realize that Jesus talked more about hell than any other preacher that you've probably ever heard preach in a pulpit? He talked more about heaven and hell. You just, you just read it. He talked more about separation. He talked more about sanctification than any other preacher that walked the planet. You talk about being unpopular. Jesus' statements are yes and amen. Can I hear an amen? amen? Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. I mean, no, that's a devastating statement. Verse 14, but small, small, some translations say narrow. It's going to say narrow in a minute in this translation. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Father, I thank you and I praise you this morning. For your word, Lord, may it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Father, I thank you for this amazing morning of celebration. Thank you for what you've done through, through this amazing family and congregation, Lord, to touch many, many little children in Africa. Lord, thank you that's being accomplished even today. Thank you for all the things that we touch around the world in the Philippines Lord, thank you for the video last week of Eric and Tanya. And Lord, the 5,000-some individuals that gave a consecration card to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you this morning that we're a part of something that's moving. We're a part of something that's changing. We're a part of something that's everlasting. And Father, Father we want to be a people that, that do not waver. We want to be a people where our yes is yes and our no is no. And Father, I pray that you will touch us today in your holy name. As I stated last week, we live in a world of ever-infusing compromise and illogical approaches to the craziest things. How many know, even since I preached last week, there's a whole bunch of more crazy going on in the world? 
How many know, I, I, don't, I don't say this to be negative or to bring demise, but we're probably going to have a whole lot more craziness this week coming as well. It just It's the tide, it's the shifts. But all of these crazy events, all of, all of these illogical things that don't make any sense, have been prophesied to us by our Lord and Savior through the Gospels and through the, throughout the Word. Jesus taught many times that the road to hell was wide and easy and the road to heaven would be difficult and narrow. He exalted and challenged all his disciples to be visible and uncompromising. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's time to be uncompromising. Turn to him and say, it's time to be uncompromising. That all his disciples would be visible and uncompromising concerning their faith, righteousness, and holiness. I gave a key question last week, and I want to reiterate that key question this morning. My key question for all of this to ponder through this message is this. What does a disciple of Christ need to look like in our present society? Not what does the church need to look like. We've gone on that for a long time and we failed miserably. I just want to say this for you. Church and religion and denomination is not going to get you to the streets of gold. Your own decision and your own choice, everyone will choose. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the only thing that's going to seal that destiny. Can I hear an amen? So what does a disciple of Christ need to look like? What, what do we need to look like? What do we need to emulate? What do we need to change? What do we need to repent of? What do we need to let go of? And what do we need to pick up in our present society? I gave this, this other question, and I, it's kind of the catalyst for the points and the thought this morning. How will people see and know the light and glory of Jesus upon those who have chosen the narrow way? How will people know that you're different? How will people know that there's something significant that you're standing on by faith, not by sight. We're going to get to that a little bit more clear in just a few moments. How do people know your resolve? Everybody say resolve. resolve. Your resolve. Your resolve. This is my resolve. I'm not putting it off on anybody else. I'm not changing for anybody else. I'm not trying to be ugly for anybody else. I'm not trying to force anybody else. But as for me... This is my resolve. This is the line that I've drawn. I may make mistakes. I may not be perfect. I may have to come back and repent. How many of you know some of us need to repent daily? Let me rephrase that. Some of us may need to repent hourly in this world right now. Repentance isn't a one-time thing. Repentance is a continual cleansing of the Holy Spirit. How will people see and know the light and glory of Jesus through those who have chosen the narrow way. The first thing we talked about last week was when the world doesn't like what you believe. How many know as the days begin to press on to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, you, you think there's persecution. We haven't seen persecution when it comes to the things that we believe. Talked a lot about that last week. I'm not going to belabor that, but I want to say this and I want to reiterate what the Word says because the Word is the lamp unto our feet. In John, Jesus said the world will hate you. Here's the problem. We're having a problem with that. The definition of Jesus coming out of our lives is being refined every moment. And all of a sudden, the separation of us having to choose who we will serve is becoming more evident and relative. Follow me today. The evidence and the relative example of the Lord Jesus Christ being exonerated and exemplified by you isn't going to be able to be hedged anymore. People are going to confront you and you're going to have to choose whom you're going to serve in front of people that have not necessarily seen the total application of your faith. And they're going to hate you. People are going to pull away from you. 
People are going to look at you and say, if you're going to choose the things of God, I saw your truck at Refuge City Church. Were you there by accident or were you there on purpose? Everybody will choose. I wasn't there by accident. My, tuck, my truck just didn't jerk into the... Well, some people's do. But your guys' didn't. <laughs> We've actually had that testimony. I went on purpose. It's purposeful. Your relationship has to be purposeful. John 15, 8-20, Jesus gave us insight to this. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. Give me an amen on that. But I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. You're going to have pushback by the world in what you believe because they're going to try to convince you that what you believe isn't necessarily culturally and socially acceptable. Well, we all know that because we know that the Word is the actual fiber that we need to stand by, not socialistic and cultural ideology. Number two, they'll know that you're choosing the narrow way when people feel uncomfortable at your convictions. I talked about family turning against family and the wheat, the wheat being separated from the chaff. I saw a winnowing fork for the first time. I'd never seen it in my whole life till I went to Africa. I was actually out at the far end of Addis Ababa in Africa. I was almost on the border of Somalia a few years ago. I was actually with one of our board members. We went together and we were traveling on some donkey path and my poor donkey never... Needless to say, I hiked my donkey up the side of the hill. <laughs> it was a wonderful time of uh, physical expression for me. And on the way down, right down below us in a village that's way far away from, from the things of this world and culture, culture, there were a bunch of people in the village standing out beating on the wheat, and they were... They actually had a winnowing fan. A winnowing fan is a three-sickled fork. And they would take that fork and they would, throw the sh- the sh- they would throw the wheat up in the air and the substance and the weight of the wheat, the weight of, of the fruit, they will know you by your fruits. Your fruit will fall back down, not your opinion. Your opinion will blow away, but your fruit will stand. When people feel uncomfortable at your convictions, we talked about Acts 4 and Daniel chapter 6. I made this statement. I want to reiterate it, and we're going to get into the fresh information this morning. I I don't know where we got this idea that following Jesus was supposed to be safe and easy. How many know that's been a false teaching from the very beginning? Following Jesus is the narrow road, and it's going to be hard. Jesus knew it was going to be hard. That's why he warned his disciples to make sure you're disciples so you get ready for the fact it's going to be difficult and hard. As far as I can tell, we can either be people of safety or people of faith, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we can't be both. Can I hear an amen? Amen. How many know there's a cost for discipleship? You value most what costs you the most. So the question for many of us is simply this. Has your faith cost you so little that you're willing to give it up at the first sign of trouble, struggle, conflict, and tribulation. It's too hard to be a Christian. It's too tough. It's not popular. I don't have any friends. 
Things are being separated. Things are changing. It seems like I'm more isolated. It seems like I'm more lonely. They're going to come against your beliefs. They're going to come against your convictions. I'm going to give you the last two this morning. People will know that you're on the narrow way when God's presence and favor is upon your life. How many of you know this morning that God's favor, God's favor, not, how many know favor comes before blessing and blessing gives more favor? A lot of times we're going after blessing and that's fine, but what the Word says is we need to go after the favor of God and the blessings are the benefit of the favor that God's placed on, on our lives. How many want God's favor? Come on, how many of you want God's favor? You want God down and look down upon you and favor you? And there are a lot of you right now that are saying, Pastor Jim, I, I have read in Scripture that God doesn't show partiality. Absolutely not. Partiality is different than Him favoring you. All of us can have favor. All of us can walk under His favor. All of us can walk under, under the power of His favor. Exodus thirty three fourteen. the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. People will know His presence and His favor upon you. It's interesting to me, and many of you, you can read this chapter later on, but this is one of my favorite chapters in the Exodus of the children of Israel, and it's in the application of Moses. And Moses is, is hearing from God that, matter of fact, at the beginning of chapter 33, before you get to this verse, God's pretty upset with his people and he's calling them a stiff-necked people. They're stiff-necked. They won't listen to me. They won't bend. They won't give. They won't relinquish. They're stubborn. They're bullheaded. There is my way or... Oh man, you, you, maybe you're a part of it. I don't know. But chapter 3 talks a lot about that. The whole beginning verses, God talks about, I, I'm frustrated with them. And he says, I want to go, go with them. I want to go with them in the promised land. I want to do what I've promised. Matter of fact, in there, Moses says, if you don't go with us, then we're not going at all. Because without you, we can't do anything. This is where Moses, again, debates with God. And God's saying, I don't know if I can bring these people in because they're so stiff-necked and they want to do things their way. How many of you know, remember the golden calf and the idolatry and the sexual immorality? How many know it's always been a fight on the earth? Idolatry, getting things above God, and sexual immorality has always been the dividing line that's stopped people from receiving God's favor. Pastor Jim, how do I get God's favor? Get him number one and get sexual immorality in totality out of your life. Get rid of it. Woo, it got quiet. God does not change. He said they're stiff-necked. The reason why they're stiff-necked is they have idolatrous behavior. They put work. They put stuff. They put things, they put hobbies, they put other things above me. It's more important to them than I am. And they have lots of sexual immorality. And that sexual immorality is tainting my favor and blessing and anointing in their life. You've heard me say this before, and I want to reiterate it again. There is nothing this world has to offer you. Nothing that would, that would benefit you or cause you to sacrifice and give up the anointing of God in your life. Nothing this world has to offer. When you walk under God's favor and His anointing, there's nothing like that. Right. Woo, that was good preaching. Yes. 
How many know favor is mentioned in the Bible over 126 times in the English Standard Version? And you'll find that every individual greatly used by God experienced His favor. His favor. His favor. It wasn't just His miraculous touch. I'm thankful for God's miracles, but the miracles didn't precede the favor. The favor preceded the miracle. God's favor is the guarantee of His presence and the provision of His power to accomplish His purpose in and through your life. God doesn't give you favor so that you can have a mansion on top of the hill overlooking Shasta, Mount Shasta. That's what you've been told in false teachings behind pulpits. That if you're favored by God, you'll be wealthy by God. Tell that to Paul who was highly favored of God. Tell that to Jesus who had to pay his taxes by sending Peter fishing. I'm not making stuff up. Favor is not the application of the accumulation of earthly goods and wealth that you have. Favor is something on your life that cannot be explained and that people see and they get aggravated over. The world gets aggravated over God's favor in your life. They do. They do. Why is that person so favored? I was in line to get the promotion. I was on this job first. And that Christian, that God-fearing, Bible-reading, lunch-praying Christian got my cussing, whoremongering, blaspheming spot on this job. Wonder why. Because people and bosses in the world will see the favor of God. Pastor Jim, are you talking about promotions? Come on. Get with, me, get, get, get with me this morning. I'm not talking about earthly promotions, but I do want to say this. God's favor produces earthly promotion. You get blessed when somebody else gets overlooked. That's his favor. Can I hear an amen? Mm. How many know God's favor is intended not for your convenience, but for his purpose? It doesn't mean your life is going to get easier In fact, God's favor on your life and God's Holy Spirit on your life guarantees that your life's going to get harder. That's that's the problem with a lot of people that are dealing with some of the tribulations, trials, and struggles, and faith conflicts that are going in their life right now is I have done my best to serve God. I've done my best to love God. I've done my best to sacrifice exactly what you've said, Pastor, and everything seems to be getting worse instead of better. Doesn't seem to be getting any better. The phrase walking in the favor of God refers to many people within the Bible. How many know it says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord? Genesis 6-8. But how many of you know Noah spent 120 years being cursed at and mocked by all the people on on the planet? How would you like to spend 120 years with people walking by eating donuts asking you what in the stink you're doing out in the middle of that meadow? Mocking your entire family. Mocking your sons and your grandsons and your granddaughters, and your daughters, and your daughter-in-law. It says that Noah found favor. Everybody say favor. It says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, Genesis 6-8. Noah gained God's favor by building something to protect the human race because God still found blessing in what He had created in mankind. How many know God's Word tells us that if we seek the divine favor of God, 
we will experience His steadfast love. How many want God's steadfast love? When the favor of God is on you, good comes your way. Odds get turned in your favor. Even if you're not the most talented, intelligent, or beautiful, God's unmerited favor can still open the doors of opportunities for you and propel you straight into success that was undeserved or earned. Listen to this. When you ask someone for a favor, you're generally asking them for something they don't owe you. Anybody in here in the last couple of weeks said, hey, will you do a favor for me? You're asking something of them that they do not owe you. How many of you know, when you get God's favor, He's giving you something that He does not owe you? The Bible says of God, you bless the righteous, you surround them with your favor. The word righteous does not mean flawless or perfect. Otherwise, none of us would qualify. It means to be clothed or choose the righteousness of God, thereby making us acceptable before God and qualifying us for His favor. 2 Corinthians 5.21 I don't know about you, but favor has qualifications, and those qualifications come in righteousness. If things aren't going well in your life, shift some things in your life. That's a truth we all need to grasp and hold on to. Why? Because when you have God's favor, people start favoring you and and they start favoring the people around you. How many of you know when God starts favoring you, people around you get favored? Like people want to hang around you because they don't know why other people like you. They just just like it. I I just want to be around you. So let me let me share something with you. Everyone look up here. You know what that says to me? Favor is contagious. Mm. because when you have God's favor people start favoring you and people around you often for reasons they themselves can't explain the favor of God made it possible for people in the Bible who otherwise wouldn't have amounted to much to do great things how many of you know the 12 disciples Jesus picked probably wouldn't have fit any of our applications today for a disciple you know what that says to me not to bring down the disciples in any way at least I got hope can I hear an amen I mean, no, if there's a guy like Peter on the team and a guy like Thomas, I got, a, I got, a, I got an option. I got, a t- I got a, any, anybody with me today? I love this. I mean, no, God called a teenager named Esther to save the Jewish people from annihilation. She stepped out in faith, approached the king uninvited, even when it violated protocol, and she obtained, it says this in Esther 5.2, she obtained favor in the king's sight. God made a way for her to do the job he'd given in purpose for her. Listen to this. Without the favor of God, Ruth, a Gentile, wouldn't have been accepted by the Jews. But because God had a plan for her life and and her heart was open to him, she ended up marrying Boaz, a great man of wealth in Ruth 2.1. Listen to this. And from that union descended King David and ultimately our blessed Savior and Lord. How many know that's favor? The Bible says this, Proverbs 12, 2. Everyone look at it. The Bible says this, a good man will obtain favor from the... I want to close this thought this morning on favor. A single moment of God's favor will do more for you than a lifetime of striving on your own. A single moment of God's favor will do more for you than a lifetime of striving for it. So Pastor Jim, how do I get favor? We receive not because, well, Pastor Jim, I've asked for God's blessings. You're getting it out of order. 
That's what I'm wanting to teach you today. That's what people will see. People don't care about the blessings that God gives you that you don't deserve, but people do care about the favor of God on your life that's unexplainable. That needs an amen. I want to give you this again. Pray for the favor of God and start looking for it and declaring it. This week in your life, what you speak, life and death are in the power of the tongue. When's the last time over an issue in your life, over a job situation, over a child situation, over a family issue, over a a hurt or a wound that you didn't start, that you needed to or you should have proclaimed God's favor? God, give me favor. Not give me a blessing. Give me your favor. Everybody say declare it. Number four. Number one. They're going to come against what you believe. Number two, they're going to come against your convictions. Number two, they're not going to like it when you have favor and they don't have it. And that's going to start growing more and more on the people of God. The more you get hungry after the things of God, the more favor of God's going to come upon your light and His presence is going to come upon your life, which is why they're not going to like your convictions and why they're not going to like your beliefs. So get ready. Everybody say, get ready. Number four, when you walk by faith, no matter what happens. That's people that choose the narrow way. Pastor Jim, why are all the bad things happening on this world? Well, first of all, because it was prophesied that bad things would happen on the earth. That really ticks church people off. Pastor Jim, you're not giving us a lot of hope. No, I'm giving you a bunch of hope. We just need to come into alignment with the hope that God's given us to walk circumspectly in the righteousness that God has planned for us so the favor of God will be evident and emulate off of us so that people will get desirable of the things that are happening for us and they'll want to come and have a piece of it. Because how many of you know people are jealous when God starts favoring somebody else? How, how come you're doing good? How come you're doing okay? Here's the issue. Here's the issue, and you've heard me say it a lot. I don't want to be repetitive, but I want to say it. For too long, the church has come in broken and wounded and mad at God. And we've come down at the altar doing words. We're going, oh, God, bail me out of this. Oh, God, save my circumstances. Oh, God, touch my issue. And we've gone out there and whined and moaned at every coffee shop and every break we've had with every believer or every unbeliever, and we wonder why they don't want to believe. Pastor Jim, are we supposed to be fake and lie? Absolutely not. We're supposed to be steadfast and congruent. Let your yes be yes. One of the greatest verses of Scripture that I've ever read in my life is this one. I shall not be moved. Just like a tree that's planted by the waters. I won't be moved. I won't vacillate. I won't change. I won't, I won't not stop reading my Bible. Like Daniel 6. Remember Daniel 6? I won't stop. You can make a law that we can't read the Bible in public, and I'm still going to do it. You can make a law we can't pray. I'm still going to pray. You can throw me in jail. You can give me a piece of bread and a glass of water, and I'm going to pray hard. Matter of fact, the Holy Ghost is going to fall in that cell, and I'm going to speak in other tongues, and all the doors will shake and wide open, and people are going to get saved, and you're going to say, you were more of a mess in here than you were out there, so we'd like you to leave, sir. <laughs> Pastor Jim, how do you know it can happen like that? Because my Bible says it happened a lot of times. They started praising at midnight. 
See, we love it in the, it's great stories in the Word of God. The problem is when the Word of God starts happening to us. That's what defines everyone will, everyone will choose. There comes a time when we need a faith that's courageous and uncompromising, especially in a world we're currently living in. Right now, everything and everyone is shifting all the time. How many know everything's shifting? How many know last week stuff shifted that were different than this week? I, I, I would have never, ever in my life. It's amazing to me the fickleness of the media, and I'm not going to try to get p- political, but all of those media outlets that five years ago was against molestation and was against pedophilia and all of that, and now they're throwing a fit over The Sound of Freedom, one of the most amazing movies that's ever come out to reveal truth. I want to share something. We need to sound it from the rooftops, and we need to buy tickets for everybody to go. Can I hear an amen? You cannot be that fickle that you spin on a dime in five years just because now it's not politically correct to happen. I'm tired of politically correctness and I want the word of God to fall on men and women again. That was free. Everything and everyone's shifting. Here's the problem. The church is praying that everything will stop shifting. We need to start praying that in the middle of the shift, we can walk by faith, not by sight. We're all are faithful and consistent people that will not be moved, wavered, or shifted. Our lives must be free from fears. Let let me ask you a question. I know this is is confrontive, but I'm not going to apologize for it because I think it needs to be individual with everyone here, not just corporately within our body. In every church, I hope every church listened to these last two messages, but I want you to hear this question. Can you honestly say without hesitation that you're serving God to the fullest potential that you have? Don't answer the question. Don't cheer yourself. Read the question. Pastor Jim, I don't think I could ever get there. That's the lie that the enemy said and that pastors have propitiated for long that you're doing well enough right where you're at to try to appease your conscience and make you feel good about your lack of faith. The truth is, can you honestly, you individually honestly say without hesitation that you're serving God to your fullest potential? Then take my challenge today. It's time to arise and shine for the light has come and the glory of the Lord's favor is rising upon you and you need to walk by faith like you never have before. You need to proclaim faith like you never have before. How many know what faith is? Faith is the substance of things, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence I mean, we have a lot of evidence against faith right now. How many know life is filled with decisions? Everybody say decisions. Matter of fact, there was this game, decisions, decisions, pay me. I don't know where that came from, but that was free too. Life is filled with decisions. Some decisions are simple, some are obvious, some are extremely difficult. Listen to this. All decisions come with consequences, either good or bad. How many know all decisions come with consequences? Listen to this. When you make a decision, we're exercising the power of choice, a power that we all have. Yet we have to learn to use it wisely. The power of choice is seen all through Scripture. Last week I gave you the Scripture in Deuteronomy 30, 19 through 20. How many remember that, that portion of Scripture last week? It said this, that the Lord explained that we had two choices before us. We could choose life and death. 
Then he instructs us to choose life so that we and our children might be blessed. Lest anyone question what it means to choose life, the Lord explained what it meant. First of all, it meant that if we choose life, we have to love Him. Everybody say, love Him. We have to listen to obey His voice and we have to hold fast. Hold fast means be faithful to Him. Having done all to stand, I will will be faithful. I will be faithful. Pastor Jim, it's hard to be faithful. It's frustrating to be faithful because it seems like the more faithful I get, the worse things happen in my life. Well, how many of you know that there's two things contending for your soul? The things of the flesh and the world and the enemy and the things of God and His Spirit. There's a fight going on and it's been going on since you sucked your first breath on this planet. And by faith, everybody say by faith. By faith. We will stand. In Joshua 24, 15, the challenge is set before us to choose for ourselves whom we will serve. False gods of the Lord. In 1 Kings 18, 21, Elijah confronts the people and asks. This is what he says. He says this to all of the people. How long is it going to take you to decide? If the Lord is God, then serve Him. If not, then serve Baal. But choose who you will serve. How many know it's a choice? Listen to this. We're almost finished. It's a choice, not chance, that determines your destiny. It's choices, not chance. A lot of people want to say, it's just the way it is and life will be what it will be. I disagree with that. I think that a lot of life is evident in the choices that you make for the things that you want to purpose and do. I'm going to give you a whole thing here, so pay attention. It's choice, not chance, that determines our destiny. How many of you know God votes for us, the devil votes against us, but we're the ones that cast the deciding vote of all? If you get anything in this closing, I want you to get that. How many of you know there are three votes that are going against your purpose, your destiny, and your eternal security? God casts a vote on your favor, Satan casts a vote against you, and you get to cast a vote on which one you'll choose. How many know you made a faith decision when you trusted Jesus to be your Savior? Every single one of you in this room, if you've asked the Lord into your heart, you made a decision to choose faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The problem is preachers told you that when you got saved, everything in your life would be grand and glorious. They preached, I started out with this, so I'm going to end with it. They preached a false grace. I'm not saying grace isn't powerful. I'm not saying grace isn't wonderful. I am saying grace costs something. And here's the issue. We've thought all along that grace only costs Jesus something. But he said, as you have seen me do, do thou also. So if grace is going to cost something and it costs Jesus everything, you you better know and be for sure it's going to cost you something too. Grace has a price. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. I can sin. I can do what I want. I can get high. I can go do this. I can experience that. I want to experience all life has to offer. How many of you know most of those experiences come with huge regret that causes you to live in shame and guilt that causes you to not walk in your purpose and destiny for God? Wow, that was good stuff today. You know, faith had to decide, am I a child of the King of Kings or am I a child of the world in the flesh?
Everyone hear this. Everyone hear that. Everybody look up here. Do I embrace suffering along with God's people or enjoy the short-lived pleasures of sin? Do I live for the rewards of earthly treasures or the rewards of heavenly treasures? Do I trade earthly things for heavenly things? Do I trust in what I see or in the one I cannot see? Here is the real issue that is pushing against God's people in the church right now. In, in our culture and in society, more than ever before, concerning wavering faith, listen to this. We all know what it's like to be tested. How many of you know? Anybody in here ever been tested? Anybody in here currently in the middle of a test? Good. We all know what it's like to be tested. It's not like we haven't been tested through our lives and in our walks with God before. The real issue is we've never been tested like this. How many in here have ever heard of glorious message preached by a preacher about refiner's fire? Anybody remember? Anybody? Come on, raise your hand. I've heard about refiner's fire and the, and the verse that talks about gold and all the dross comes to the top. All the impurity comes to the top and we scrape that out and that's what makes the different carats of gold. You've got 16 carat, you've got 24. Anybody ever heard a message like that? And we need to get the dross and the impurities out of our life. Woo! Amen! But nobody told you that the dross and the impurities would hurt on the way out. They would make you mad. You would fight, and even some of them you would secretly cling to. Oh, I want the gold. I just want this little impurity over here that nobody can see. This is the problem. We've all heard the message on refiner's fire. We just hope the fire wouldn't burn. Here's this morning's truth. God's going to test the quality and the quantity of our faith. Is it real gold? Is it a cubic zirconium Christian? Or is it a real diamond? God's looking for a people that He can trust to honor and have faith to obey Him despite the consequences of life or the struggles we face on any given day. Listen to this. When times get, when times get tough... What you and I need is a tough faith. One that will enable us to go through everything and anything life has to offer. Listen to this. It's easy to trust God when all is well and everything's going the way we want it to go. There are no battles to fight. There are no disappointments to wrestle with. And there are no hurts to ponder. But it's different when things fall apart and they aren't going the way that we wanted them to go. If there was ever a time to get close to God, it's when times are tough, not when everything's good. Conclusion. I actually wrote that word. Don't know why you guys are laughing, but here's the conclusion. Right now, right now in our culture and society, the things that will persuade and compel people to Christ will be the Christ coming out of you with his favor and your unwavering faith. Why aren't you nervous that everything's falling apart? Why aren't you mad? I can see all of the hurt that God's done to you. God did this. If he's a sovereign God, he wouldn't let bad things happen. Why are you still serving him after all the bad things that happened to you? Do you realize that's the open door to tell them about the narrow way? Though he slay me, yet will I, I will not be moved.
That unexplainable favor of God that seems to rain blessings and provision down upon you when nobody else is getting that raise, promotion, or blessing. Also, that unwavering faith to stand. The evidence of things not yet seen. People that are fixed and steadfast in their hope, their convictions, and their faith that will not be moved. No matter how bad things get, no matter how many conflicts come, no matter how many prayers go unanswered, I want you to listen to my closing statement. No matter how bad things get, no matter how many conflicts come, no matter how many prayers go unanswered, no matter how many disappointments life brings, there are some Christians out there that are not looking at the things of this world but are looking up for their redemption is drawing near because they know everyone must choose and will choose whom they will serve. That's the bottom line. Stand with me this morning. I want us to pray this morning. That's the biggest conflict I've ever seen in the church. I've been reading lots of books, read lots of books. Read lots of books through a lot of twists and turns and conflicts and problems and issues within this world. But we, we never have seen the deterioration of culture and unholiness like we're seeing it now worldwide. I'm not saying that we need to get involved in everybody's squirmish around the world, but six million Jews sure would have been blessed if America would have stepped up a lot earlier in what they believed in. There's been a lot of travesty. There's been a lot of trial. My wife and I, she fell in Israel some years back. This is when faith, you never know when faith in your God's going to be resident in a moment that you didn't expect it. And when you're hurting yourself. How many of you know faith is always called on when you're dealing with your own issue and your own hurt and your own problem and your own trial? Because then you don't, you don't want to, how many in here really don't want to be fake? Nobody wants to be a hypocrite. My wife and I, we're in, one of the, we're in a dark place. Not only are we in a dark place in the world, I was exactly 7.3 miles from the Gaza Strip in a hospital that's Palestinian-controlled in Beersheba. Dealing with lots of Egyptian sheiks and ungodly things. And there's a woman next to us. She was almost 100. She was 90. I have to ask my wife. She was either 98 or 99 years old at that time. She was from Hungary. The hospital didn't provide anything. They didn't even provide a blanket. As a matter of fact, I had to leave my sweatshirt for my wife so that she could have a pillow. Everything that you asked for, they charged you for. And we didn't even know how to communicate. This lady in the middle of the night started moaning. My wife's got a broken ankle. She's in excruciating pain. And the Holy Spirit tells her to get up and to go over and just to put her hand on this lady's shoulder. When she put her hand on this lady's shoulder, she started brushing her hair away. And the lady started asking her something in her, her language and Charlene couldn't understand it. She's trying to help and she finally gets an orderly and an orderly gives her some medication. But while she's stroking her hair and, and holding her hand, she looks down and she sees the tattoo of the numbers across her forearm. 
When I showed back up early that morning, my wife was very moved and she says, the lady next door to us, she must be Jewish because she's got the number of the Holocaust. And I looked over and it was there. Her, hus- her son, not her husband, she had been widowed for years and years. Her, hus- her son came in, very amazing man. And he sat down and he started telling us a little bit of her history. How she lost her daughter to the gas chamber. See, we whine a lot. Pastor Jim, why are you boring us with this story? Because I'm sitting in this hospital thinking that I've got problems. And God shows up and goes, I don't know how he does it to you, but it was my attention moment. That I haven't gone through anything. But I whine like a, like a stiff-necked, Pastor Jim, you're not being very kind to us whiners. You're being very judgmental right now. Well, that's because I've been there myself in crazy stuff that don't even matter for eternity. When I started analyzing all the stuff I was upset about and all the stuff that was frustrating me, I'm like, none of that's even going to heaven. What's my problem? (laughs) None of that's going to matter when I stand on the When I stand before the throne, he's either going to say two things. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, or depart from me. I don't know you. I can't find your name. See, we either believe it or we don't. We either fight for it or we don't. We either live for it or we don't. That's what's happening in society. It's coming again. And to listen to people who have suffered for their faith. I looked at this man and I said, I said, I, I would like to pay f- for your mother's hospital stay. He raised his eyebrows and he said, you, you what? I, s- I said, I would like to cover her hospital stay. I don't know why she's here, but I, w- I would like to do that. For everything that she paid a price for, there needs, there needs to be something that shows God's favor on her life. Do you realize that even something simple, she didn't even know about it till after Charlene and I left the hospital. I said, don't say a word. Last thing that happened, my wife's being wheeled out in a wheelchair and she starts, she started singing a Hungarian song and she reached her little hand out, the one with the tattoo and I swung Charlene over to the wheelchair and she grabbed her hand and her son interpreted, thank you for showing me kindness when it seems like kindness in the world isn't very popular anymore. She reached out and kissed Charlene's hand. Come on. Come on, church. It's time to arise and shine. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor Jim, I, I got to recalibrate some things. I, I don't know how to work through all this. I may have to go back and listen to it. But I know what you've said today is true. And everyone will choose. Everyone will choose. And I want God's favor on me. And I want to walk by faith and not by sight. But there's been a lot of things consuming me. There's been a lot of anger. There's been a lot of resentments. There's been a lot of frustrations. There's been a lot of hurt. There's been a lot of hurt with with God even. 
I don't know why God would allow this. But this morning, this morning, I want to make a fresh declaration. I want to make a fresh consecration. I'm not going to have you sissify and raise your hand. If this morning you need to make a a fresh acknowledgement of the thing, I don't care if you've been saved for 40 years, but today's the day you need to say, God, I choose you this day. I choose you this day. I want you to come and stand at these altars right now. I want you to come real quick so we can pray. Don't hesitate. You know if you're supposed to be here. You know if you're supposed to be here. Don't don't allow the enemy to miss your opportunity. Don't allow the enemy to miss your declaration, your consecration, your moment of displaying grace, his amazing grace. the Holy Spirit work for a few moments you know the Holy Spirit many of you in this place you know the feeling of the Holy Spirit when he comes on you and you know what he's telling you right now don't miss your opportunity because of pride don't miss your opportunity because someone may come and say I told you so whatever that is this is your moment this is your moment hang on just a minute we're gonna hang on just a minute you in any way. There's been a lot of brokenness in your life. A lot of wounds and a lot of hurts. You took a step today. And I just want you to know the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, you tell her I saw it. And you tell her the things that have frustrated her and wounded her and hurt her are being broken away right now. The things that she's questioned and the things that she's been frustrated about, you tell her I'm her father. That she may not have had the right kind on the earth. But her Heavenly Father has seen her and seen her cry. This Heavenly Father has seen what the world's tried to do to wound her and break her. He's been waiting for this moment, sis. This is the moment he's been waiting for your heart and his heart to connect in this place right now. And things are going to begin to shift for you like you've never seen. That's not a false promise. I don't want to give false promise ever. There's going to be some hard things, but today's the day that you've chosen and stand in what you've chosen. I want you to put everybody in the room, but those of you that are especially down at the altar right now, put your hand on your heart, both hands on your heart. We talk about this a lot, this verse of Scripture that caused David's faith to waver. The sin the sin that he partnered with and sleeping with one of his men of valor's wives, Bathsheba. And he sacrificed his favor. He sacrificed his anointing. He sacrificed the blessings of the Lord for, for the fulfillment of sexual pleasure for a moment. And in Psalms 51, you can read the whole psalm, but in Psalms 51, he said this. He cried out to God and he said, Create in me a clean heart again, O God. Renew a right spirit within me and cast me not away. 
Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Father, I thank you and I praise you this morning for everybody that's come down here. Father, for everybody that's here, for everybody that's watching on online today, everybody in this room. Father, we, we would love, we would love to acknowledge and we're going to walk in hope believing that things are going to turn around. But Father, we see, we see things in this earth happening right now like we've never seen them happen. Lord, there's an agenda that's been unleashed. There's demons that have been unleashed like never before. Lord, there's an all-out spiritual war that's going on across the lands and across the world like it's never gone, like it's never happened before. And Lord, there's this, there's this questioning, there's this fear, there's this anger. Father, if we're not afraid, we're angry. And then when we're afraid, we're, we're angrier. Father, all of those emotions. Father, may we be settled and steady in our emotions right now in Jesus' name. Father, we do not fight flesh and blood, but we fight principalities and powers. And Lord, we come against every principality and power that would try to steal, kill, and destroy right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I bind every principality and power of every single person that's at these altars this morning that's trying to cause them to waver, that's trying to cause them to doubt. Father, that's trying to cause them to vacillate. Lord, that's trying to cause them to make decisions that will go against their faith and against their stand for you. Father, I pray this morning for your grace, your true grace, your true grace, your unmerited favor that you paid for. Lord, may we embrace that grace and may we be able to pay the price, to pay the price for that amazing grace in our own lives. Father, I ask for your forgiveness across this land. I ask for forgiveness right now that we took your word off of our state buildings and out of our government offices. Lord, I ask forgiveness right now for our schools and our universities. Lord, that have taught compromise. Lord, that have taught some kind of a, an agenda to cause society to accept sin and call it glorified when it's debauchery. Father, I repent today for this nation and for the church that's gotten confused. Lord, that's created denominations so that the true word of God would not be preached with evidence, with your power and with your authority. Lord, I pray that conviction and the word of God will be uncompromising again from sea to sea and from pulpit to pulpit around this world. Lord, that no matter what happens, ministers may be persecuted, ministers may be martyred, but Father, it is time for the pulpit to stand up and preach the truth and it's time for God's people to support the truth that's being preached like they never have before. Father, I repent today. I repent for all of our all of our waywardness, all of our partnership with sin that in some way has dispelled some of what we're dealing with now. Father, I pray today that you will open up the windows of heaven and you will pour your blessing upon your hurting people. Father, I pray today that you'll heal relationships, that you'll heal marriages, that you'll heal homes and families. Right now, in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that we will be united. Father, like we've never been united. We needed a united church, united families. Under God, we pray.
under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all, I pray. Bless this nation. And Father, I pray right now, not so that we can be prideful, not so that we can have all of our toys and all of our stuff, but Father, bless this nation so we can drill wells in Africa and touch people that are hurting more than we're hurting. Father, I thank you for this celebration this morning, and I thank you for these people that gave sacrificially to see something profound done across the world. Father, continue to use us, but Lord, I pray right now you'll begin to use us in our own city, on our own jobs like you never have before. Father, that we won't be ashamed to open the Word of God and to read your Bible on our breaks and on our lunches. Father, we won't be ashamed to pray for one another when a coworker is hurting and in pain. Father, we will pray for the miraculous touch of Jesus to consume their, their destiny and their purpose again. Father, it's time for your people to arise and shine for the light has come and the glory of the Lord is rising upon them. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that give generously to this ministry. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit refugecity.church for more information on how you can become a part of that team. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, you can take a screenshot and share it on your social stories, and make sure to tag us at Refuge City Church. Thanks for listening.